Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakarongo mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori. Hei hōtaka e pānakia papatūnuku, tangaroa, me ranginui. You're with our changing world on RNZ National. And now to the Anthropocene. Gaia Vince is a science writer on a mission. She quit her job to travel and meet people who are learning to live in a fast-changing world, including villagers in India who use satellite technology to glean water, and farmers in the Himalayas who create artificial glaciers. She turned her journey into a book, which has won the 2015 Winton Science Book Prize. And she tells me about her adventures in the Anthropocene. We have plenty of eras that have gone before us that paleontologists and geologists have discovered, like the Jurassic, the time of the dinosaurs and the Cambrian, the great explosion of life that occurred. And we're supposed to be living in the Holocene, which is a time of very stable climate, plentiful resources, a low human population. And it was actually a chemist, a Nobel Prize winning chemist uh, called Paul Crutzen, who was sitting at a conference one day and and learning, as I'd been learning at my desk at uh, the journal Nature, where I used to work about all the human impacts that were taking place, you know, um, papers on how the river flows have changed, how uh, species were going extinct at an unprecedented rate in human history, that uh, the climate was changing, that there were different chemicals in the oceans and the atmosphere, that uh, mountaintops were changing, all these very different things. And, and there was one species that was uh, responsible for all of this. It was humans. We were the fingerprint in all of this. And... And Paul Crutzen looked at that and realised we're we're not living in the Holocene anymore. We're living in a new age, the age of humans, the Anthropocene. It's up to geologists to name the the eras and the epochs that we live on and and classify them. And and they're all uh, engaged in some sort of dialogue about what they're going to do. And and they have a big meeting in 2016 next year to push this forward. But in the meantime, scientists from biologists to ecologists to conservationists to chemists to physicists to geologists, everybody has been uh, grappling with this new idea. And it, it it seems to have caught the imagination beyond the science world and into the worlds of culture and artists, theatre writers, novelists. Everybody has has kind of embraced this idea that we are this enormous species that has changed the planet. And it's very much in, in that spirit that I wrote this book. It will be true if you fast forward geologists in the future, if they were to look back, they probably very likely will find layers and sediments and then rocks that were deposited by our actions. Yes, that's what geologists are coming up with. They have a working group of a great many scientists who look at things like uh, river sediments, how uh, chemicals are being imprinted in rocks. And they have come back already and said that the changes that we're making right now, there will be signs of them in the rock indelibly for millions of years. And And that's how we are already aware of changes that have gone in the past. So this is definitely an age. I mean, they're now sorting out the nitty-gritty of when exactly this might have started. 
uh, because we humans have changed the, their environment, their local environment, since they've evolved pretty much. So they're deciding when we should officially mark this. But in the meantime, it's undeniable that we have had a planetary change. We have become a planetary force. The changes we've made are no longer just local or, or even regional. They are global. And that's quite phenomenal. There, there's only been one species that has changed the planet comprehensively like we have and, and that was a, a, a non-sentient being, a bacterium which filled the atmosphere with oxygen for the first time, a very toxic gas to many of the other life forms that were around at the time. And, You're thinking cyanobacteria. And if it, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for the oxygen-producing bacteria, obviously we would never have evolved. So it's thanks to their big changes. Who knows what changes we're making could do to life in the future. Perhaps another species will be incredibly grateful because they could never have evolved into the world, a world without us. One of the issues about our impact is that it's also been an accelerating impact. When you look at the the things that we have been changing, and it really is everything pretty much from the creatures that live with us on the planet from the oceans to land everything has our fingerprint on it but the biggest changes have happened in a very very short time there's the term the great acceleration it really refers to one human generation post world war Indeed, II yeah to now is that linked in your view just to the exponentially increase in the numbers of us, the fact that population has grown so rapidly? Well, or it's linked to so many things. So, so first of all, yes, the population has rapidly increased. But why has the population increased? Well, partly because we've started to harness fossil fuels. That's enabled us to produce energy. It's also led to us to be able to develop artificial fertilizers. I mean, before that, we used to use uh, animal and, and human dung to put the nitrogens back in the soil. I mean, nitrogen's a very, very common gas, but it's bound so tightly um, in the atmosphere that it's very hard to get it in a form that the plants can use and and we need nitrogen it's in our dna it's it's in all proteins we need nitrogen and the only way we could get it is uh, through plants or animals that eat plants and the only way the plants could get it is either through certain types of leguminous vegetables that have bacteria that take that nitrogen and put it in a usable form or by uh, redigesting um, poo essentially so we were very limited and we fought an entire war in South America over um, a big resource of bird poo, <laughs> which seems incredible these days. But then at the beginning of the 1900s, two scientists, Harbour and Bosch, managed to make artificial fertilisers using ammonia and that revolutionised our entire species because it meant that we weren't dying in huge numbers of famines anymore. We could multiply, we could live longer, we could... Uh, pass on our skills much better so that led to the population increase in a in a in a nutshell so yes um, our population has expanded but that's partly due to our brains <laughs> managing to make it but also there are other things that have also taken place so this globalization that's taken place uh, we trade across the planet we um, exchange goods we are now a consumer society a lot of the changes, a lot of the technological, the social, the communications revolution, all these things, and, and very importantly, urbanisation. I mean, at the beginning of the 1800s, just 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Now more than half of us do. By 2050, more than three quarters of all people will live in cities. And if you think that we were a hunt-gatherer species until 
very recently on evolutionary scale um we now are an urban species we live in an artificial environment essentially you know concrete glass we live in a completely different way and a completely different world and that has meant that we're a concentrated species on the planet using the rest of the world as, as a sort of factory to produce everything we need to supply and, us, and that, yeah. that's that scale of efficiency and that scale of uh, production has has completely changed our impact on the planet I and mean, there's nowhere on earth now where human presence can't be seen i given that i'm talking to you from new zealand i was going to focus on the oceans chapter in your book you divide the book into chapters that focus on a particular landform you talk about um, rocks mountains rivers there's an oceans chapter and um, you just said there's nowhere where you don't see the the human impact that is also true for the oceans although that would have to be the most remotest of us in some way where we've perhaps had least influence yet the oceans are changing so significantly so when I said that the, um, there's nowhere on Earth untouched by us, I mean, if you look at the oceans, the chemistry of the oceans has entirely changed. It's it's more acidic. It's got plastics and human man-made chemicals in that were not there, pollutants, essentially. Um, we've also... Um, overfished in certain places we've changed the biodiversity in other places you know transported say lionfish um, escapees from aquaria and 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 so on in places where they don't naturally um, occur which which changes the whole biodynamics of a system one of the biggest signs of our presence in the oceans is the fact that the first entire ecosystem to go extinct is extremely likely now and it's going to be coral reefs and coral reefs are incredible they're not just incredible because they're beautiful I mean if you've never dived into a coral reef you've missed something extraordinary about our planet I mean just beautiful teeming with life and these are the nurseries of fish they are so vital to marine ecosystems they're also fundamental the fundamental structure of atolls of islands in acidic environments first of all the coral essentially dissolve <laughs> because it's what's happening is the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere is dissolving into the oceans and forming a very weak carbonic acid and that's that's dissolving the uh, coral reef structure. It, it means that corals must expend a lot more energy in order to grow. Also, the warmer atmosphere means that the, the little algae that live inside the coral, which they have a, an amazing relationship where the algae use photosynthesis to feed the coral, they can't cope with the very hot temperatures and you get that massive bleaching that occurs. That's just one ecosystem which is vital for fisheries. It's vital for, for marine ecosystems. But when I was researching this book, I, I travelled for two and a half years around uh, more than 40 countries. And in that time, I saw some remarkable examples of uh, human ingenuity, um, incredible people that have come up with uh, ways of living, solutions to, to address the crises that we're facing every single day. So... You know, I don't say that all is doomed, but I do say we need to prepare ourselves and try and find ways of dealing with this changed world because we're not living in the Holocene anymore. We're living in a completely different world and uh, we, need, we need to adapt to that. Of all, even though you talk about a 
the biggest crisis really that um, we as a species might be facing. The book is quite optimistic and you just referred to the people you've met along the way, people who are either very courageous and push things through politically or people who really have often desperate but really good ideas. In this case, I'm thinking of you know making artificial glaciers. Um, the example of the guys painting the mountains white to bring back the snow or bring back the ice, really. Are you yourself optimistic? I mean, you've met all these people. Did they inspire a kind of an optimism in you? Yeah, I am optimistic. I mean, I'm naturally optimistic, but also I, I do see us as an incredibly inspiring species. We have made these huge fundamental changes to our planet for many life forms unfortunately it's curtains for them you know it's it's an extinction for them I, I do think that we're going to pull through I don't think it's going to be extinction for us but it will mean many changes but I, I think we're very resourceful I think we're very ingenious we're we're a very uh, cooperative sociable species we're very clever from what I've seen from the people I've seen there's a great deal of ingenuity out there there's a great deal of seemingly impossible we, we are we are capable of doing the seemingly impossible um, I met individuals making artificial glaciers you know I mean th that just sounds impossible and yet you know, we're a species that has pushed the planet into this situation. I very much believe that we can be the species that turns it into our favour, you know, turns things around. Are people listening? Do you feel, not just as a build-up to the Paris Climate Summit coming up, but generally do you feel that people are hearing it more than they did, say, five years ago? I am getting... a a sense that things are changing that people that people are starting to talk about some of these issues starting to address them slowly um, there does seem to be some sort of change in the air I don't know how much that will concentrate minds um, in time uh, what we need is is of course uh, stronger policies some of that will be top-down we do need some sort of agreement on cutting emissions, obviously. But, you know, even if we were to stop emitting carbon dioxide tomorrow, and that will never happen, we live in a fossil fueled world, even if we were to stop tomorrow, we already have so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere already that we're committed to global warming um, on a scale that we hadn't seen before what we need to do is stop making it worse of course but we also need to start thinking about how we are going to adapt every single aspect of our lifestyle of our of the way we build houses of the way we educate our children of the way we do our transport create our energy all these things we have to start thinking not from a holocene mindset no we are now living in the anthropocene we have to completely understand that we have to start talking about all these issues and start living in an Anthropocene world and that means addressing the problems knowing that we are now a very big population we're already over 7 billion we're heading towards 10 perhaps 11 billion uh, resources are now limited um, the uh, climate is no longer nice and stable it's violent unpredictable so we need to start thinking of everything, how we plan everything according to an Anthropocene world. And that's not what we're doing at the moment. We're very much still in a Holocene mindset, and that's going to be our undoing. 
and that was Gaia Vins, a science writer whose book Adventures in the Anthropocene won this year's Winton Science Book Prize. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, you can find more stories on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kakite anō 